going to pick up with our text that we heard read a few moments ago. First, in the first service, someone told me I said First Timothy all the way through. It's Second Timothy. I'm saying it right now. If I say First Timothy later, I'm wrong. Okay. So you're, you're in Second Timothy, chapter four, uh, verse one. We're really going to focus in on verse two. This is on page one thousand one hundred and eighty-three of your pew Bible. If you want to make use of that, so. Verse 1, he's charging Timothy. He's going to say, Timothy, as a pastor, you got to do this. Uh, so we're going to kind of skip past that. What does he say to Timothy do? And before I get into that, let me say, everything that is said that a pastor ought to do is just an amplification of what every Christian man ought to do. And what every Christian man ought to do is just the male version of what every Christian woman ought to do. So there is a distinction between men and women, but when it comes to our faith, there is no distinction. There is no men be gentle, women you complain a lot, or vice versa, men you do whatever you want, but the women have to submit. There's, there's none of that. All of us are to be in the same faith, under the same king, trusting in the same gospel that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. That Christ has died. Christ, Christ is, is risen. Christ, Christ will come again. All of us are to believe this same thing. And the only distinction then between you and me is that what I do publicly for you you are to do privately, that is, in your own life. So whereas he says to Timothy in verse 2, preach the word, that means it's my job to be the teacher of the word. This doesn't mean Christians never have to speak the word at all. Only the pastor speaks. That's a problem Lutheran churches tend to have, you know. The pastor's so wise and intelligent, he's studied so much, and he knows so many things, and you say this, he goes, oh, well, that's wrong in this way. And, and over time, what happens is you become afraid to talk. Now, I'm not telling you go ahead and say whatever you want. I'm telling you that when he says to Timothy, preach the word, he's saying to the whole church, let this word be what you know. Let this word be what you believe. Let this word be what you say. Hmm? Now, lest I be misunderstood and, and called to account online, there's one other thing a pastor does do that the laity don't do, and that is he presides over the giving of the gifts of the Lord's Supper and baptism. He is publicly called to watch and care for these keys on behalf of the church. But it's not as though these keys belong to him. Huh? The office of the keys belongs to the church as a whole. The pastor stands in that office and exercises them for the sake of the church. And so in that way, even though, yes, indeed, I deliver the sacrament to you, that's not the point. We don't have the Lord's Supper so that I can deliver it. We have the Lord's Supper so that you can receive it. And in fact, my delivery means nothing. I need it too. I take it when I'm up here with you because I'm in the same place as you, just publicly visible, whereas you live the Christian life privately, okay? So everything Paul says to Timothy applies to you in a private way. Preach the word, he says, the pastor better do that, but that means for you, listen to it, believe it, trust what it says in season and out. This is so important. There are times in the history of the church when people are going to want to hear what the Bible says. They're going to be ready for it. They're going to be hungry for it. They're going to need it. And there's going to be times in the history of life in the church 
where people could care less. Worse, where they hate it, where they want it silenced, where they want nothing to do with it. Now, I, I said in the last service this a little differently, but, but I, I do think this is true. We live in the midst of both times. Because it really kind of depends. The season could be one in the morning or one in the afternoon, depending on who you're having dinner with. Yeah? But for you, St. Paul Lutheran Church, let me encourage you to believe it's in season right now here. We've been in season for a good while. We're hungry for the word of God. You desire knowing what the Bible says. You're hearing me talk about it. You nod your head and say, yes, this is right. Tell us more. But if you look at the broad scope of Christianity out our doors, you know that we're out of season, right? You know that many churches have abandoned what the Bible says in favor of all manner of other stories and mythologies, all manner of other ideas that they want to teach instead of what the Bible says. Paul says to you, be ready in all times. When people don't like what the Bible says, believe what the Bible says. When people like what the Bible says, believe what the Bible says. Be ready for both of these. And then specifically to the pastor, your role as you teach these things is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Right? That means correct, stop it, and then encourage it. Right? Correct the things that are wrong, stop the things that are really wrong, and encourage the things that are right with complete patience. Yeah? Knowing that by the sword, we're not going to achieve anything for Jesus. By power and argument and frustration and anger, nothing's going to come of that that's good. But by patience and careful instruction, by our communal attendance to what the word says, by waiting for the rains to come, the seed is going to grow. But now, verse 3 here, he warns us. He says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That's the out of season, yes? They will not endure sound teaching. They won't put up with it. They won't like it. They'll hate it. They'll want you to stop it. I saw uh, one of the many things that go past my disgusting Twitter addiction during the week. One of the many things I saw this week was a video that was taken by a student in California. They're in the hallway, and they capture the audio of three teachers talking. And one of the teachers says, those Christian parents just need to catch COVID and die. Okay? Now, she's already resigned from her position. You know, publicly, you can't say that and get away with it, even in California. God be praised, and may God be with her. Because I don't wish evil on her, though she might wish evil on me. But what I want you to see is that this is a person, a common, lovely lady, dresses well, professional, who thinks that Christianity needs to shut up and go away. She will not endure sound teaching. Now, I don't know what she thinks Christianity is that she won't endure, but I can tell you there are people within the church who don't want to believe that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Do you know that? There are church bodies who teach he didn't really rise from the dead. It's just a nice story like all the other religions, and you believe it to have hope. There are churches that teach that. That's one thing. you got marriage. I mean, come on. Marriage has been under attack for generation and a half, two generations now. We started with divorce and free, no-fault divorce. It didn't stop there, though, did it? We moved on to cohabitation, and it's okay if the kids have sex before marriage. It'll all work out in the end. And then we want to make room at the table for homosexuality. It'll stop there, right? No. It hasn't stopped there yet. It's gone on to the transgender movement. You know what that is. What's next? I mean, I can tell you, because history's done this before. It's not new. What's next is polyamorism, 
That's multiple people living in one house saying they all have free love with each other. Happened in the 60s already. It's a big thing amongst young people today already. And then also, I, I, it's disgusting to speak of the things they do in darkness. But bestiality, pedophilia, those are the things that are next on the agenda. You don't believe me? That's fine. We'll wait. We'll see. It, it, it happens, okay? They won't put up with sound teaching. I just said something about how trans, the trans agenda is not good. And I'll tell you, as I said it, I thought, oops, I'm on YouTube. Maybe I'll be taken off YouTube now. Because YouTube will not put up with sound teaching. They remove teaching that doesn't fit with their policies and their agenda for a new world order. Now, we don't have to get into all that conspiracy theory, but it's true with regard to the marriage issue. I bring that up not because I want to harp on marriage today. Marriage is a good thing. I'd rather teach about how good marriage is. I bring that up to emphasize that when Paul says the times are coming when people will not endure sound teaching, you should take him seriously. You should understand that the average human being does not want the righteousness that God gives. You should believe that ultimately what they hate most is not what God says about marriage or abortion or telling the truth. What they hate most is grace. I'm going to say that again. What they hate most is grace. What your flesh most resists is the idea that you can do nothing, that you deserve to go to hell and can do nothing about it, but that God so loved you that he sent his son so that you would believe in him again, that through his death and resurrection, you'd be restored to a perfect relationship with God. Now, you don't hate that because you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. He's made you believe that. But that is what people don't want to deal with. That is what they don't want to face. That is what they don't want to believe. Okay, uh, kind of getting away from the text here. I want to stay on the text as much as possible. We live in times where people do not put up with sound teaching. You can visit many churches in Rockford where they will not open the Bible and tell you what it says. If you don't believe me, take a week off and go visit. Take a week off and go visit. You got my permission. One week. Long week. But you can believe me, too. You can start praying for all these other churches around and realize what a blessing we have here at St. Paul. Rejoice in that. Commit to it more. Go home, read your Bible more, because you know what you're getting. Okay? Here, the having itching ears. I didn't even get to this great text. Verse 3, second half. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Right? So what happens when someone doesn't like what the pastor says? They leave. They go find a church where they teach what they want to hear. Yeah? And Paul says, beware of this. This is going to be normal. Now, just because the pastor says it doesn't make it right, right? What you should do as a Christian is not just assume that you've got a pastor who knows all things. Instead, ask the pastor, where does the Bible say that? Force the pastor to preach from the scriptures. Tell him that's what you're here for. I remember I did a wedding for a couple once, and I got to visit the church where the wedding was. And so I'm sitting behind the pulpit. They have like a chair back over here behind the pulpit. And, and the, the home pastor is doing everything else for the wedding. I just got to preach. And I look over and kind of down in here where you couldn't see it, there was a little sign. It said, sir, we would see Jesus. I loved it. I had to look at it as I got ready to preach. Sir, we would see Jesus. Huh? People don't put up with that, though if they don't want to hear about it. And we need to know that this is the threat that the devil always brings against his church. He wants us to take our eyes off of Jesus. And the times are coming and have come where many have done that, and they've built great tabernacles and temples to themselves and to their visions and their missions and all these things they think are so important. All these things they're going to do for God. 
But what the Bible says, well, they, they couldn't tell you. Or if you tell them, they don't like it. Yeah. Beware of such times where people are taught to chase their own passions. Verse 4, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, here's a real shock for you. Huh. Sometimes, I'm not sure if the world's round. Now, I'm not a flat earther. I don't actually believe it's flat. But the thing is, I've never looked. Have you? Yeah, right. So, so, I have to acknowledge that I have more confidence that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead than that the world is round. Now, here's the nice thing about that story about the world being round. Does it matter to you? Like, if it were flat, would it change your life? Like, it has nothing to do with your life. It's, it's, a, it's a nice story. It's great. The world's round, whatever. The sun rises, or the sun is with them, somebody spin around. I actually think we do go around it. I think the telescopes can kind of show you that if you want to do all the math. But do you see my point? Does it change anything? No. Does Jesus being risen from the dead change anything? Yes. It does, right? So all the stories are myths in this way, even if they're true. Even if they're true. Whatever the truth is about how the coronavirus came about, got here, and did what it did, it still is just a story. It's something we tell ourselves about reality, and we run around and get more fear and trust in what it has to do than in what Christ has said. And that's the devil's goal. He wants us to be believing that we're living in something special. We can do something about it and forget that we're all sinners in the hands of an angry God who's going to do what he wants. And so if he wants there to be war, there's going to be war. Huh? If he wants there to be a pestilence, there's going to be a pestilence. What we want to do is in the midst of whatever comes, and he warned us, wars, rumors of wars, diseases, droughts, famines, earthquakes, all of these things are normal for the way this planet works until he comes again. So what are we to do then? Not give ourselves over to stories about these myths, but to go back to this certain truth. Verse 5, to be sober-minded. Yeah? To take it seriously, to think about what the Bible says, to understand it, to endure suffering. That means to expect it. You're going to suffer in this life. Yeah? To do the work of an evangelist, that doesn't mean convert your neighbor by knocking on his door. It just means be ready to say, Alleluia, Jesus is risen, right? He is risen. Alleluia. Fulfill your ministry. That means do what God set before you to do. And each of us in our vocation are going to have a different thing that we do. For me, i got to study enough to get up here and talk to you every week. For you, you do what you do. But you do it as a Christian. You do it sober-minded. You do it not distracted by the world. You do it willing to endure suffering and sacrifice for those who you love. Because that's the right thing to do. And you do it knowing for certain that this world is not all there is. Thus you're walking through this veil of tears toward a light at the end of the tunnel, which is your death or Christ's return. But your death is not a bad thing anymore because Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, and so he has made your death the entryway into eternal life. Again, Paul is writing this letter from prison, certain that his death is coming soon. He is ready for it. The rest of our text we heard read, I am being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure, the word in Greek is exodus. The time of my exodus has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He means I can't wait to die. 
Now, he knows he doesn't have any control over his death. He just knows that when death happens, his sin's done. It's gone. And all that remains is peace and rest in Jesus. And he knows that even that's going to give way to something more on the last day when he'll be back in his body, his flesh risen from the dead and purged of its sin to enter into a new earth covered by a new heavens in which he and all Christians, all believers will dwell in innocence and righteousness and blessedness forever and ever. That hope, that knowledge that death is gain changes everything and you know that it's gained because again he has already achieved it for you as he is no longer dead so you too will rise from the dead but we're going to go backwards now chapter 3 verse 1 but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Huh. Sounds mean. Huh? Avoid such people. But it's, it's wise. It's good advice. It doesn't mean you can never run into a sinner. You're going to go out in the world. You're going to buy groceries somewhere, and you can't escape whoever's helping you at the grocery store. That's not his point. His point is do not surround your ears, your eyes, and your heart with people who lie and live only for themselves. And I'll tell you the way you're most likely to do that is when you flick that TV on and you watch a bunch of people who live lives that are lying about themselves. What an actor does, by the way. An actor spends his entire life trying to pretend he's not himself. And the better he is at it, the more we cheer him on. It's strange, isn't it? I'm not saying don't ever watch a movie, although you, know, you, you could do better, worse things for your life than give up on all the movies. My point again is, though, listening to what they say, letting them teach you how life is, this is what you want to begin avoiding. Don't let the deceiver's pictures convince you that's real. Learn what's real from what Christ says. And so again, the things I would have you look at again, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's not that God never gives pleasure, but I'll tell you, America is addicted to pleasure. Absolutely. We have had so much abundance and so much freedom, we honestly think we can only feel good all the time. And when we don't, we ask the doctor for a pill. Huh? I'm not saying there are times and places where the doctor needs to give you a pill. I'm telling you that addiction to pleasure is a threat to you. It's a threat to you. I'm telling you that there are people who are out there right now who are heartless. That is, they don't care about anyone but themselves. And I bet you if I say Vladimir Putin right now, someone will be like, oh yeah, that guy's heartless. And it's kind of like, well, 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 is he? Do you know? I don't know. Because on the other side, you have a corrupt Ukrainian government that also has done wicked things. I don't believe every story you say, and I'm not advocating for what Russia is doing. What I'm saying, again, is that you should expect the leadership that is in this world to be filled with liars. 
So one of the things I heard recently was that Vladimir Putin lied. He said he wouldn't attack Ukraine, and then he did. So therefore, we should trust, you can fill in the blank. And my first thought is, but that guy lies too. They're all lying to us because the world has become heartless, proud, arrogant, loving money. <laughs> I could go off on money for a while. Because a lot of what we do see going on, is my opinion, I'll tell you right now, it's my opinion. But I think a lot of what we see going on right now is a global game of finance. It's a global game of finance. And it's fighting against something that many of you maybe have never heard of, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. They're struggling with what's gonna happen when they can't tax everything the way they want to. And global powers are jockeying for position on this. Now, again, my opinion. What I can tell you for sure is true, people are lovers of money. Oh yeah, they are, yeah? So, in the latter days, this brings us struggle, he says. This brings us times of difficulty, he says. Avoid people who are given over in their mind and heart to such things. He gives some warning then about false teachers who will do such things in verse six. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Now, this isn't quite right exactly, but it's awful close. How many of you get robocalls on your phone? You know what I'm talking about? Robocalls on your phone, phone rings, you pick it up and like there's nothing or there's like an automatic something that starts to talk to you as if it's real, but it's a computer, okay? Most of those robocalls, they're not really trying to sell you something. What they're trying to do is to get you to talk into the, into the phone, and then they record it. And what they work on doing is over time, building up a repertoire of your voice saying certain words so they can call your bank and play a recording that has all the words we put in the right order to talk to your bank. Creeping into households, yes? Liars whose consciences are seared. Now, Paul's actually talking about false Christian pastors at this point. But just, again, know where you live. It's not safe here. It's filled with liars who want to make more for themselves, and they'll do it by taking from you. Once upon a time, they used a sword. Now they use technology. Now they use mythologies and stories and propaganda because, frankly, it's a lot easier than the sword. They can do it from far away and you never get to see their face. Yeah? So what's, again, my encouragement to you, Paul's encouragement is simply don't trust those who you don't know. Avoid those who are a part of the world and give your heart and your mind to discerning what truth is from the scriptures. We're going to skip ahead here then to verse 12. Indeed, then, recognize all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
All right, we're going to go back and kind of move through that again at verse, starting at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It says what it says. Are you a Christian? Then expect someone to not like it. Expect it. We have become so weak in America. I, I don't know how. I really don't know. I can't pinpoint it to one specific thing. But somebody says, oh, I don't like what you think. And we wilt. Oh, they didn't like me. I'm chief of sinners here. I'm not saying I don't have this. It's a major problem for me. Someone complains about something in the church and it breaks my heart for three days. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be at all. I should expect that if I'm going to stand on the truth, if I'm going to have the good Christians like what I say, then there's going to be people who aren't Christians who aren't going to like what I say. Or there's going to be people who are Christians, but they're weak. They're struggling. They don't know their faith very well. They're not going to like what I say. And you, again, are just a reflection. I'm not special. I'm just a man who's a Christian trying to love the Bible. And the Bible says that all of us are going to find those who don't like the fact that we believe in truth. They don't like the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead in such a way so as to change everything and make him the only way to the Father. Hmm? So all of us should expect persecution of some kind. Does that mean being arrested? Does that mean being rounded up? That's not what he's talking about. That could happen. There are places in history where that happens. But by and large, he means that we're just not going to have everything we want. Most especially, not everyone's going to like having us around. Because we're going to be the stench of death to them. And again, remember how I said, that's because we believe in grace. Paul says that. He calls us the stench of death. Because we're okay with our death. We're okay with our death. And that bothers the people who aren't okay. And you show up sometime and talk to someone who doesn't go to church very often. What do they do? You ever notice this? They start talking about how well they really love God. How, how they really, they, they, they used to go to church. They kind of like God. They, they don't like, just like you. They start making excuses. You smell like death to them. And they're trying to make it go away. Yeah? You don't smell like death to you because the death of Jesus Christ, the fragrant aroma of his sacrifice, is your victory. Huh? So you know that death is just resurrection for you. You've begun to see through it. But again, we then are to expect people to, to buck against us. Yeah? We just have to expect that. As they, verse 13, evil people, there's evil people. They're actually evil. That's just kind of bad. I just kind of mean evil. Evil people and imposters, that's fake Christians, will go from bad to worse. And notice, they deceive, yeah, they lie, and they're being deceived. I really, I really like this verse in this regard because it's helpful. If you want to have mercy on someone who's a liar and a deceiver, to realize they're actually just kind of pitiable. The first person they lie to is themselves. Yeah. But then as a result, they spew lies everywhere trying to keep their lie alive as truth. And you, Christian, beware. Don't learn from them. Learn from Scripture. Continue in what you have learned. Firmly believe, that's verse 14. Verse 15, how you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Yes, he says to Timothy that the Scriptures, what has been left from Moses and David, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and then eventually Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul himself, Peter. All of these scriptures, these sacred holy writings are able to make you wise. Oh, I love it. Can we do it again? Repeat after me. Jesus, make me wise. Jesus, make me wise. 
Nah, it's a promise. He says he will, okay? And now learn what he says right away. The first part of wisdom is to know what salvation is through faith in Jesus. That's the first part of wisdom. To know salvation is to trust that Jesus is king now. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He sits on a throne, reigning over all things. He's moving all things for the sake of your faith, your fight, your race, staying firm in him, regardless of what else happens on this rock. Yes? And so then, where can you continually find this food? All scripture, verse 16. This is a great verse to highlight. All scripture is breathed out by God. The Greek word there is one word, breathed out by God. One word. It's the word spirit and the word God shoved into each other. It doesn't even exist in Greek other places. Paul just took the word spirit and the word God and he smashed them into one word. All scripture is God's spirit. Take that to the bank. All scripture is God's spirit and profitable. Profitable is good for you for teaching to know what the truth is, for reproof as to correct your errors, for correction, rebuke would be another way to say that there, as to turn you away from really bad stuff, and for training in righteousness as to go on the straight path. Which means both the righteousness Christ has earned for you in the cross and the righteousness you live out now as you love your neighbor as yourself. So that you, man of God, remember, everything's fractal. Pastor is a man of God publicly. Fathers are men of God in their families. Women are women of God, born of man. That is from his side, right? So all of you are in this phrase, man of God, so that you, man of God, may be complete. <clears throat> complete in your faith. Complete in your conviction, knowing who your God is and therefore equipped for every good work. All right. Would you flip back then to chapter 1, verse 13 and 14? And we're going to go back even further and finish up with the first part of chapter 1. But same idea here. All scriptures God breathed. Chapter 1, verse 13. He says, therefore, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We'll just stick with that verse for a moment. The pattern of the sound words. The Greek word there that's translated sound, it means healthy or nutritious. Yeah? Cling to the nutritious words. And then see that they're a pattern. They're a framework. Is there a lot to learn in the Bible? If I ask you to tell me the difference between Jehoiachin and Jehoiakim, yeah, yeah, the lore gets pretty deep, okay? But, but that's not quite what he's getting at here. What he's getting at is that there is a basic teaching that is so simple and clear that even a child can know it, and it never changes. Now, we as Lutherans have learned to call that the catechism. Yeah? Catechism just means repeat again. It's a simple teaching. And what is the catechism? Now, if you sat through catechism class in the Lutheran church, you remember you had to memorize a bunch of stuff. What does this mean? It means this. Luther said. Okay, that's not the catechism. Okay? That's Luther's explanation of the catechism. It's great. I love it. But the fact that we've taught you it in place of the catechism, and you've learned to not love the word catechism because of it, that's a problem. Okay? What's the catechism? It's the Ten Commandments. It's the Apostles' Creed. And it's the Lord's Prayer. That's the catechism. That's the pattern of sound words that you'll find throughout the entire Bible. They're always there, coming into you in different ways. Why are Jehoiachin and Jehoiakim important? Because they teach you about what it means to have a true God or to not have a true God, like the First Commandment says. 
or the second commandment, to call on God's name or not call on God's name. And maybe I should have brought up Manasseh instead. I just read his story this morning, so it's fresh in my mind. Manasseh, the worst king that Judah ever had, the reason why Judah gets destroyed, he set up more idolatrous things in Judah, so the people of Judah were worse than the Canaanites, it says. Worse than the people God had driven out by the sword and slaughtered. Manasseh makes it worse, and so what does God do? He lets the king of Assyria come and put a chain in Manasseh's nose and drags him by his nose. He had to walk, probably naked, by his nose all the way to Babylon. And what's Manasseh do when he gets to Babylon? He calls out to Jesus. He praises Yahweh, his God. He says, save me, and what happens? God sets him free, puts him back on the throne. He begins to reform things. He begins to tear down the idols. He dies. His son's not so great, but Josiah, his grandson, he's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. So again, what do you see in that story? The second commandment, to call upon God's name in prayer and praise, to give thanks to him, to know who he is. God has a name. Use it. Okay. Pattern of sound words, a framework for understanding your life, the catechism, the Bible. Yeah. Follow that pattern that you've heard in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, it says. End of verse 13. I want to take some time here to make sure we talk about faith and love. Just because uh, I'm on a quest. I'm on a quest to make the Bible's language mean something. It's not that the Bible doesn't mean something. It means a lot. But English, English is watering itself down. It's, it's getting gross as a language. And so a lot of our words just don't mean much. If I say faith, what does it mean? People of faith. Well, that means all sorts of stuff, right? I mean, faith for Oprah Winfrey, and I don't know if anyone still watches her, she's still popular, I imagine, but for her, faith means the power by which you believe you're going to have a great life. And more people listen to her than the Bible, so I got to assume faith means that for a lot of people. It just means hope. Hope is hope. Faith is faith. What's that? It's trust, okay? Faith is trust. I want you to work on, whenever you hear that word, whenever you see that word in the Bible, it means trust. The trust you have in Jesus. That means, again, Jesus is trustworthy. He is a God who you can trust because he always does what he says. Can you trust him to give you whatever you want? No. Can you trust him to give you what he says he'll give you? Yes. Right? So, take and eat. This is my body. A place to exercise your faith. To work on trusting what he has said is trustworthy. Okay, so follow the pattern of sound words that are going to point you to trust in Jesus and the love of Jesus, it says. Now, love is worse than faith. Love means an emotional feeling, right? That's about all it means. And so if I love pizza, I have a deep emotional feeling for pizza. And if I love that girl, I'm going to marry her someday. Well, then, I have a deep emotional feeling for that girl, right? Oh, Father, I love her. It doesn't mean, oh, Father, I'm committed to her. Huh? No, it just means I feel things, okay? That's not love, though. Love is more like commitment. I'll give you a different word, though. It starts with an L. Loyalty is the best word to put in place of the word love wherever you see it, especially in the Bible. Let's do it with John 3.16. For God was so loyal to the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him, trusted faith, should not perish but have eternal life. Love is loyalty. 
And of course, St. John told us a couple weeks ago, this is loyalty, not that we are loyal to God, but that God is loyal to us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice. Yes. Nonetheless, as a result of God being loyal to us, we now see the goodness of being loyal to God with all our hearts and all our soul and all our mind and being loyal to our neighbors as to ourselves. See how much that makes sense? Yeah? It starts to under, understand itself when you think of it that way. So follow the pattern of sound words. The Bible is going to teach you to trust Jesus and to have loyalty in a relationship with God he says, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I spent a lot of time on this in the first service. I don't want to spend as much here, but I want to get it out. The mission of the church is not to convert more people. I know that for generations, that's been what people have said. Do a mission. Convert more people. Okay. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to convert people. He does. But it's not our job to make that happen. When he says in Matthew 28, go into all nations and make disciples, he doesn't say make more and more and more and more. He says instead, make disciples. What's a disciple? It's not just someone who one day comes to church and says, I believe in Jesus now. Yay, let's chalk it off on a number. We've made so many this year. A disciple is someone who is disciplined to be baptized and observe everything that Jesus teaches. That is the rest of Matthew 28. And so again, the mission of the church is to discipline those who hear the call of Jesus and then that discipline is, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So before the church goes off and says, let's be so great that make, we'll make other people that are just like us, what we want to do instead is say, dear Jesus, keep us who we are in you. You've given us the spirit to believe that he is risen. He is risen Alleluia. Let's cling to that. Let's hold tight to that. Let's remember it tomorrow and the day after. Let's say it again. Let's open the Psalms and pray them. Let's read the Proverbs like they're true. Let's become a people who don't ever let this go. We're going to pass it on to our kids because it's the most important thing that there is. That's the mission of the church. And I can promise you that when a congregation devotes itself to believing what the Bible says, when you as families devote yourselves to thinking it's more important than everything else, there will be new people who become Christians. It's going to happen. But when you decide that it's up to you to go and make more Christians, I can tell you what's happened the last 60, 70 years since we've been preaching that. Can you tell? Fewer and fewer and fewer. Turn into a Ponzi scheme at a certain point. Give us money, give us money, we'll do mission, we'll do mission. Fewer people in the pew, fewer people in the pew. So, in season out, in season out, we've been out, let's get in. How do you get in? Follow the pattern of sound words. Remember, all scripture is God-breathed, and there to teach you about the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who has risen and ascended to all heaven for the sake of keeping you in the faith. And that this is his goal because his purpose is grace. We're going to close with that here. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. He says, For this reason, 
I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, for Timothy, this meant his ordination. The laying on of hands is ordination. But for you, just know that you're baptized into Jesus, right? You've got faith in Jesus. And so this writing is encouraging you to fan into flame your faith. I don't know if, if any of you know this. I'm sure that older adults know this because they used to teach this kind of stuff in schools. I don't know what they teach in schools these days. But you know that like fire needs oxygen, right? Like the big part of fire isn't the wood, it's the oxygen. The oxygen is fuel, but the real fuel is the, the oxygen. The, the wood is fuel, but the real fuel is the oxygen, right? So if you got a little fire in the backyard going and it won't go very well, instead of just piling more wood on top, it's just going to kill it. What do you do? You blow on it. Lord, and it starts to fan up. Okay, so the idea here is that you got faith in your heart because God put it there. So what's he wants you to do? Blow on it. How do you do that? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Again, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. You're listening. So, But for us as a group, as a community, we want to be a place where this isn't a question. We want to be a place where everyone just knows, oh, we read the Bible in St. Paul. That's what we do. We're a people of the book. We believe what it says. We fan into flame the gift that was given to us. Because, verse 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Yeah? So a spirit, not of fear. We are not worried about the future because we know God has that in his hands. We know that the hands that were crucified on the cross are caring for us. And so we have the power, he's going to say this in a moment, the power to endure suffering. We have the loyalty to trust in him above all things. And we have, therefore, self-control, an ability to say no to me or to you, depending on whether or not that needs to be done to be in line with the pattern of sound words. Therefore, he says, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. That means good news. By the power of God. I said a moment ago. It's power to share in suffering. It's to know that this life is to take your own cross. Which is going to be your suffering. And that can be everything from illness. To relationships. To tyranny. To who knows what. There's going to be a cross. You pick it up. And you walk forward confident that you're just like Jesus. Because Jesus has called you to trust him in the midst of the darkness. To know that his light is brighter than your little wick. But he's going to blow on your little wick to confess his light. And that's going to make his light shine all the brighter in your eyes. Yeah? You're going to be able to see it more clearly. So then, not being ashamed of it. And when the world says, don't say that. You'll say, that's an honor. Yeah? The world says, don't say that. You say, it's an honor that they said that to me. Because that's what they said to Jesus. And I've been made like him in his suffering. I've been shown worthy of suffering for the gospel. That is indeed an honor. Uh, kind of a side tangent, but, but it connects here. There's a place where St. Paul is talking to one of the congregations, I believe it's the Corinthians. And he, he says to them, I have a special reward that nobody else gets. No other preacher gets it. Because all the other preachers, they get fed because they preach. But I have a special reward I do it for free, and no one ever pays me, and that's my reward. I never get anything from it at all. How backwards is this guy, right? It's completely upside down. We would think the special reward is like the six-figure salary, right? But he said, no, the special reward is to sacrifice 
And so also, when you find that you suffer in the name of Jesus, it's your reward. Now, it won't feel like it right away. It's going to hurt. But then your mind is trained by the pattern of sound words to say to yourself, oh, yeah. This means I'm trusting him more than them. Look at that. I have faith. What a great thing to see. Yeah? And to be able to then again fan it into flame by going back to the text that says he will never leave you nor forsake you. It says strengthen your hands and your feeble knees and all these guys are good things. Because verse 9, he has saved us. Yeah? Saved us and called us to a holy calling. I think I talked about this two weeks ago. The word church... The word church is another one of these English words that's so tough to deal with. It means a building to most people. But the word in the Bible always means people who are called, right? So you could hear verse 9 is saying, He saved us and churched us to a holy church. So that makes it sound like we're all a building again, right? So what I want you to hear is that when you go to church, you go to get called again. Mm -hmm. And when you are the church, you are those who have been called to this set-apart, that's holy, set-apart calling. Not because of our works. It's not because of what you did. And you know this. You're good Lutherans now. You know we're not saved by works, but by grace. We're saved because of his own purpose and grace. What makes God God? How is he different than us? When he says, my ways are not your ways, what does he mean? He means that I do good no matter what, even to the evildoer. They do evil, I return good to it. That's grace. That's grace. And we, bought by his blood, baptized into his name, are awakened to see that. And to begin, as those who are weak, who must fan it into flame and constantly find ourselves struggling with it, yeah, nonetheless, to be able to see the goodness of that, that it is better to give than to receive and all these kinds of things because of his purpose and grace by which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages of began. That's verse, rest of verse 9, verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, right? So his incarnation, his work, his dying, his rising, all of this is the eternal purpose of God as grace for you. And so in this, he abolished death Death is gained now and brought life. That is your faith, your trust in him is true and everlasting life. You are immortal now. And then he says it, and immortality to light through the gospel for which he says he himself, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard it until that day. That which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words. <laughs> so, to close us here, the encouragement is this. The Bible is given so you might build your mind and your heart and the wisdom you've asked God for on the rock, which ultimately is the certainty that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And because of that, you can trust him to fulfill all things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please rise.